Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? Our guest this week is Kevin Eikenberry, core author in the wildly successful Four Horsemen universe. He's also a lifelong space geek and retired Army officer. He even used to manage the U.S. Space Camp program, and you better believe I'm going to ask him about that. If he is not your favorite author now, he will be your favorite author after. I still messed it up because I forgot to introduce myself, but surely people know who I am by now, right? <laughs> so excellent, excellent. Thank you for agreeing to be on, Kevin. I know your life keeps you busy. Just a little bit. Thanks yeah. for having me, though. Absolutely. I remember last uh, Superstars, last one we were allowed to have, and so we were there early, and you were eating with um, Michael Anderley, and I can't remember who was there first. And then I came up and, and I said something to you guys. And you're like, where are you going? Come join us. And I was like, what? I get to sit at the cool kids table? It was awesome. It was fun. <clears throat> that so. was why I was trying to cram in a, a lunch in between sessions. And I had no intentions of sitting down and doing anything other than eating. And then Michael came by and Kevin McLaughlin came by. And <laughs> pretty soon I had this table of people in the restaurant. I felt bad, but it was, yeah, it was fun. Mark Leslie LaFave stopped by. It was like one after another. <laughs> exactly. It was awesome. I felt like one of the cool kids. That's the magic of superstars for anyone wondering. So we have lots of uh, irreverent and very important questions for this podcast. So I hope you're ready. Uh, let's do it. All right. First question. Where do you get your ideas? Um, I've always been creative, so I don't necessarily have uh, a, a normal source. Uh, it just kind of depends. They, they pop into my head sometimes. Uh, some some of them are worth writing down. Some of them are are worth extrapolating, and some of them I kick around for a little bit and then throw away. Um, it's it's funny though that the ones that that stick with you the most are the ones that you actually end up doing something with, and it might be something that you, it may be years and years later that this actually happens. And that that happened to me. I had two dis two disparate ideas, and the first was. We were driving across Kansas in the middle of the summer, which is obviously thunderstorm season. <clears throat> and so there was a, a thunderstorm that had produced a tornado just off to the north of the interstate. And I used to live in Kansas, so I've seen tornadoes. It's not not that big of a deal. But I remember having a thought about the tornado and thought about what, you know, those guys that jump in the uh, the suits that look like flying squirrels and they they fly through canyons. I thought, what would it be like if somebody did one of that, jumped like that into a tornado? And I just kind of filed that idea away. And about, I'd say, three years after that idea, I got a call for an anthology of extreme planets. And it just all of a sudden came together, and I, <laughs> and I wrote that story. So you never know where they're going to come from, but sometimes you know the, the ones that are the most important ones are the ones you don't have to write down. That's awesome. For the record, I'm just seeing fur all over. That's what I'm seeing. <laughs> so question, why did you start writing? Um, so I actually... I had no desire to be a writer growing up. You know, you, you have those, the folks that will tell you that, you know, they were six or seven years old, that they wanted to be a writer, or they got a typewriter and all that stuff. And I, I was not that person. Mm -hmm. um, now I was told in high school and then again in college, I was a good writer and I had an English minor. Uh, I was going to go to law school. So I thought that would help me write good legal briefs. Mm -hmm. Thank God I didn't do that. But um, <laughs> I was, 
I was back on active duty with the army. I was sitting in my office one idle Tuesday afternoon and I had a character start talking to me and I recognized, you know, this is, this was a story idea. So I started putting it down on paper with, with my notebook. And after about two pages of notes, I thought, this is a book. How the hell do I write a book? <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going and taking, taking a, a creative writing class, which, you know, I'd already had a creative writing class in college and, I turned in my first assignment to the professor there at the university where I was teaching ROTC, and she said, uh, "Why aren't you published?" And I had no answer to that, and so <laughs> I started the I started the journey towards publication at that point. Awesome! It came to you; you didn't have a choice. Not really. No, the the muse popped up and said, "You need to write this," and I did, and I've been doing That's it ever fantastic. since. It's fantastic. So we've had a few writers in the Four Horsemen universe. So how did you get started with this property? So I found my way to the Four Horsemen by means of my friend Chuck Gannon, uh, Dr. Charles E. Gannon. Um, Chuck, has he's written several books with uh, Bane books. And when the Four Horsemen universe was being started up, uh, one of the things that Chris Kennedy and Mark Wandry wanted to do was to widen out the universe from the first four books that they wrote. And the idea was that they would have book five in the universe be an anthology. And the anthology would bring in new writers, new storylines, and they would kind of see where they could potentially take things in the universe. And as they were going through this process, they approached Chuck to write the foreword for the first anthology. And in the process of that conversation, Chuck and I had met at one of the world cons, I think the world con in Kansas City. And Chuck said, if, if you're guys familiar with Kevin and neither Chris or Mark had heard of, of me or anything along those lines. And so Chris sent me the information for the anthology sight unseen based on Chuck's recommendation. And I wrote a story. And when I turned in the story, I got an email back from Chris about three hours later that said, can you write a book? <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, of course, the answer to that question is almost always yes. And then that turned into, can you write two more books? And then would you like to be one of the six core authors? And I, of course, said yes. Nice. Hey, Kevin Petway wants to know, what did your wife say when you told her you were going to be a writer? Um, my, my wife's always been very, very uh, supportive of, of what I do. She's not necessarily a, like a science fiction or fantasy fan. Mm -hmm. And so th that aspect of things has always been a little bit difficult because sh she's just not a, a pop culture person. You know, she doesn't doesn't watch movies and, and have any tie to fandom or anything along those lines. And she enjoyed the fact that I was that I was telling stories. And it was, you know, when the first novel sold, when my debut novel sold in 2014, it was after I'd been I'd been very sick and near death at some point during the year. And all of a sudden, it you know, I had this novel that sold and it was kind of like, this is this is a big deal sort of a thing. And so, yeah, it, it, she's always been very supportive. That's awesome. Yeah. We Kelly's rock. We do. <laughs> yeah. For those of you in the know, we just found out that Kevin's wife name is Kelly. And since my husband's name is Kevin, it was hilarious. Just for the record. Small world. Let's see. Uh, as a retired army officer, how much of your military career do you pull from to construct your worlds and characters? Um, a lot, actually. <clears throat> so having the, the, the background of, of a military officer and, and writing primarily mili military science fiction, there's certain things that are, come easy. You know, a characterization, you know, I've, I've written characters that are conglomerations of some of the officers whom I've met <laughs> and, uh, and some of the soldiers whom I've met, uh, good and bad. Um, and those, in, those interactions give the, the subject matter a little bit more, uh, sense of 
genuineness. It's much, it's a much more genuine relationship when you're writing about tactics and weapons and that sort of thing. You can, it's certainly easy to pull from that too, but I think as a, as a military sci-fi author, I try to toe the line pretty closely. I don't want to go into the, like the three or four page, uh, description, if you will, of, of weapon systems and, you know, how they're made and what they do and everything else. It doesn't necessarily matter. You know, a bomb is a bomb, a missile is a missile sort of a thing. So I don't necessarily think you have to go that full route. Not unless uh, you're Tom Clancy. Well, and I was just getting ready to say that at Phoenix Comic Con a couple of years ago, I was asked the same question and I told the audience, never go full Clancy. <laughs> <laughs> You you have to you have to figure out what's going to be the, the 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 right amount of detail for your audience and then let them fill in the blanks. I love it. That's great. Use everything. Let's see. Uh, Friday Blue wants to know which one of your characters would you like to take to lunch. Um. God, oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think that the, the the one that I would like to to take to lunch the most would be Jessica Francis. She is the 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 first human peacemaker. And she is the, she was the subject of my short story for the Four Horsemen universe and now has become uh, a major character and <clears throat> has multiple novels written about her or in the plot line that she's that she's currently pursuing. Um, <clears throat> I was asked one time why I wrote her the way that I did, because, you, you know, typically you know, guys who write strong female characters tend to get a little bit of grief from people. You know, why do you do this? Why do you do this? You're, you're a guy. You shouldn't be writing a female character. But I had a friend of mine whom I, whom I really respect said, you know, you, you've really written this character really well. <clears throat> why did you write her like this? And I said, well, I have two daughters. And I wanted my daughters to read a story about a strong female protagonist that I wrote and not come to me in a few years and say, Dad, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted it to be a character that, that they could see why she why she is who she is, um, mm -hmm. being not, not necessarily fiercely independent, but just in the, the fact of the matter that she solves problems rather than waiting for the solutions to come to her. She's very much a character of action. So nice. I would, what's I, a peacemaker? I, Yes, Peacemaker. What is that? So Peacemaker is in the Forceman universe. Uh, the universe is divided into guilds. Mm -hmm. And so the guild that's in charge of law enforcement is the Peacemaker Guild. Gotcha. So every every race in the known galaxy co commits people every year to be Peacemakers. And until Jessica comes along, mm -hmm. no human had made it through the selection process. So she is kind of... Uh, set up to kind of be the best of the best, but then the rest of the Galactic Union is not necessarily sure that they want a human peacemaker. So they make things very difficult on her with the first book and so forth. Excellent. And Maya says Jessica is awesome. So apparently you've done a good job. I, I like to think so. There was that, there was nothing more uh, crazy than seeing a cosplayer of her at DragonCon a couple years ago. That blew my mind. Let's see. Oh, well, we've got the opposite question from Nick Steverson. He says, which antagonist of your own creation do you despise the most? Uh, let's see. Is his name Nick? I'm just wondering. Nick. Yeah, Nick. No. <laughs> that could be another Nick, though. I've got I've got a couple of friends of, like, uh, of the same name. Um, wow. So I think the, the antagonist so far... That uh, that I despise the most is probably the one from my book Runs in the Family. He is a, a conglomeration of army officers whom I worked with or for at some point during my career, and really exemplified all the the worst qualities of all those people put together. So you never had somebody that was that bad. 
<laughs> but uh, being a conglomeration, yeah, he's he, he's one I pretty much despise because he is literally the the absolute worst of five or six different people conglomerated together. Mm-hmm. It's like concentrated nightmares. people. <laughs> Ooh, nightmares come to life. Nightmares come to life. Let's see. Um, what project that's in progress or not started yet are you most excited about? I'm working on a project with Chris Kennedy that uh, we are in progress on. It's it's called the Guardian Covenant, and it's got a very very serious kind of Pacific Rim, uh, Robotech, Macross Plus co- sort of a sort of a feel to it with humans and giant robots fighting aliens. Um, and so we've we've had a lot of fun with it. We were, we're looking at doing it as as a very different kind of project, writing shorter novels. So the novels are coming in between seventy and eighty thousand words. And trying to keep the the subject matter kind of fun, if you will. And so it, I'm I'm excited about that. Um, I'm also excited about the uh, I'm working on what we call the Rise of the Peacemakers, which is a series in the Forestman universe that I'm curating. And we're about halfway through that series now, and it's really ramping up the storyline uh, along with what Jessica and, and her friends are about to go and do, and the impact that that's going to have on the overall universe. So that's that's also something that's that's very near and dear to my heart at this point. Well, that sounds very interesting. Uh, Kevin wants to know, like I said, there's lots of Kevins. He wants to know um, if he's unfamiliar with the Jessica books, which one should he start with? You're going to want to start with Peacemaker. That's the that's the first book. Well, that's uh, easy to remember. And the, the first chapter of the first book actually uh, retells the ending of a short story from the original anthology, but from Jessica's point of view. So if you get the book and you're interested in that, then the, the uh, anthology was called A Fistful of Credits. Nice. So there you go. Peacemaker. Oh, it, Maya answered it too. Sorry. I see my, Maya, she, she said peacemaker too. So apparently that's the way to go. Let's see. Maya is not only my editor, she's been my first reader for about mm, six or seven years now. So Maya. And she's a fan. So that tells you something. Maya is, is amazing. She is a very vital part of, of everything that I do. <laughs> that is awesome. Let's see. Uh, old Jester wants to know, as an author, when you feel a burnout coming on, how do you beat it, get through it, avoid it? Um, there's a couple of ways. Um, one, I normally will take a break. That uh, could even be just a night or two of not writing, not trying to focus any anything on uh, effort with the keyboard. Uh, if I feel like I'm under pressure to get to a, a, like a self-imposed deadline, Oftentimes what I'll do with the the burnout is I'll take a little bit of a break, but then I'll come back to the computer and I'll work on something completely different just even for a night. I'm going to, I'm going to write 500 words of something totally different and see what happens because burnout's a a very real thing. And for most writers, it it comes from a feeling of uh, inadequacy that they're, they're not capable of putting the words on paper the way that they see them or they, they way that it's acting in their heads and it becomes a, a kind of a negative spiral that I, I just can't do this. I'm su- I suck. I'm terrible. And I went through this probably, I'm going to guess it was probably six or seven years ago. And I, and I was chatting one night with a friend of mine and I, I made the comment that, you know, I just feel like my writing's flat. Like it just sucks right now. And I don't know what to, what to do. I'm really burned out. And, and he said, write a thousand words in something that you would never write something that you would never, ever, ever want to send to press. And I said, okay. So I got off the, the chat program with him and I opened up Microsoft Word and I wrote a thousand words of a, of a zombie apocalypse story. And zombie apocalypse does not appeal to me at all. But it was the first thing that popped into my head when I opened up the keyboard. 
Uh-huh. And, I, and I, so I finished the thousand words and I sent it to him and he wrote me back about five minutes later with screw you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's this is great. Damn, this is pretty damned awesome. And, you know, he basically, he told me to, to kind of get over my, my feeling of that I couldn't do it because I, I certainly could. And it was fun. Uh, about a year and a half ago, that, that story, actually, I, I was able to expand that thousand words into a short story and I sold it to an anthology. How funny. You just needed that kick in the pants. And and you all do. And then the other way that, that you get through it, aside from doing something di- totally different, is is mm-hmm. just to, to take a break. You know, if it's if it's walking around the block or taking a break for a couple of days and and focusing on other things. I mean, I I have a, a couple of other hobbies I like to do. I like to play golf. I like to to get out and hike. And of course, having kids, I you know I'm always playing with them. So doing that sort of stuff is always good to to just get your mind off of what you're trying to do, so that you can get out of your own way. Excellent. Good advice. Let's see, Matt uh, Novotny. I apologize if I chopped your name. Uh, which of your characters would you most likely wake up in jail with? And how did you get there? <laughs> you can tell I don't read the questions before I read them. That's great. I'm, I'm stealing that one. <laughs> Let's see. Um, it would probably be a character that Kevin Steverson and I created in our in our uh, books in uh, the Forestman universe, the, what we call the redacted books. We have redacted affairs and then redacted, redacted vice comes out on the 5th of March. And it's kind of a, a, a take on the, the old buddy cop movies where you have a serious guy and kind of a wild guy, but they have a couple of supporting characters uh, who are uh, in the universe. They're called push talls. And so you think of them as kind of like an anthropomorphic Bengal tiger. But in this particular case, the, these are twins, uh, tw- twin brothers, but they were raised by a human from North Georgia. So they, they don't talk like their normal race. They, they talk like they're from North Georgia. <laughs> And one of them is named Ricky. And uh, we we came up with a phrase that it is really kind of stuck, which is basically it's called Ricky shit. That Ricky just makes things up. He does whatever he wants to do. And it's it's just it's a Ricky shit solution. So Ricky, Ricky would be the one that I would most likely wake up in jail with. And it was probably something he thought he could get away with. <laughs> That's so funny. He's like, that didn't work. <laughs> That's funny. That is a great question. Everyone's a big fan of Ricky shit. So we're going to start using that now. Just warning you. Seems like a lot of the Four Horsemen stuff catches on, like red shirting people. And uh, it's 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 a whole culture. I love it. it it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it, it, writing in the Four Horsemen universe has really changed my life as far as a writer. And it, it's so fun to, to see the, the fans and see the, the organization that now has popped up, our, our Mercenary Guild uh, fan organization. And again, the cosplay that you see and the fan interactions, it, it's just, it's really pretty spectacular. I would never have imagined being at DragonCon the last time we had it and being sought after by two fans from Australia who just happened to be there and it were Four Horsemen fans and they wanted to meet all of us. It was It was amazing. That's so cool. It's so much fun, you know, when we can have cons again. Yes, soon. Yes, I signed up for four this summer. Hopefully they'll happen. Um, We do have a traditional question that we must ask. So uh, what I need to know is, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Mint chocolate chip, hands down. Good choice. Good choice. Mm. Mint chocolate chip. Let's see. Um... Sorry, I'm looking at the chat. I want to see if I missed anything. But I think we're good. We do. It looks like we have a, 
uh, SSG Jacobs on. Okay. A new person. Let's see who else have I not said was on. Matt, Nick. Yeah, I think I think I mentioned everyone else. So you have lots of people on saying hi. Uh, let's see. While while we're on the idea of food, what is the best thing that you have ever, or at least recently, eaten? Uh, it's kind of funny. One of my daughters asked me this question the other day and, um, it was my mom's spaghetti. My mom passed away in 2011 and I would, I would kill to have her spaghetti one more time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but as far as recently, um, so m- my wife is, uh, a, a very good cook and her grandmother lived to almost hundred years old and had a homemade recipe for cinnamon rolls that she was, I, I can't really say famous for, but everybody in the family always loved her cinnamon rolls. And my wife took the, re- took the recipe. And of course, living in Colorado, we had to make some adjustments for high altitude, mm-hmm. but she's made some other tweaks to the recipe that are phenomenal. And so she made cinnamon rolls on Sunday morning and they're the best cinnamon rolls I've ever had. So uh, it it was something where she t- she tweaked a couple things in the recipe, and I, I basically said, "You need to keep this one. This this one's really good." <laughs> write that down. Don't forget. Write it down. <laughs> they were amazing. So that's fantastic. I love baking. I forget about the Colorado difference, though. I guess I'd remember if I was there. You know, in Houston, we're at or below sea level, so yeah. that that's one thing I don't have to worry about. Yeah, when we first moved here, there were opportunities to bake that did not turn out so well. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Dave wants to know how many drafts do you go through in your writing process and how long does one book take you to write? Um, I, I'll answer the second question first. On average, uh, the the draft of a book takes me between six and eight weeks for the most part. Um, that's I've gotten I've gotten into a really good uh, process as far as that's concerned. So every once in a while, I'll have a book that'll run a little bit longer than that. But I haven't had a book written in the last probably four years that's taken me longer than three months. So definitely less than three months. As far as drafts are concerned, um, I write a first draft. And what I typically do with that first draft is in my outlining process, I identify where the first act ends, if you will. And so I'll write the book through the first act and then I'll stop. And then I'll go and I'll actually do a full edit on that first act and really kind of get my notes down because even though I outline, I always leave room in there for my characters to move because I I always feel like if I'm in the the headspace of a character and they want to diverge a little bit from the outline, I should give them a little bit of that and see where that goes. And if I give it a little bit and it looks like it's going to be okay, then I'll, I'll let that continue to go. But if not, at that point, I can bring them back to the outline. And at the end of the first act is always the the moment where you're you're transitioning from the the what the character thought they knew in the, their own environment and then traveling on the big adventure or whatever else. So that's you that's a good point to stop and really kind of make the notes of I wanted them to do X, Y, and Z, but now they've done P, D, and Q. What do I do here? And how can I bring them back? Or what does this change in the outline further on? And I found that that's been a, a very helpful part of the process. And then after that, I finished the the rest of the first draft, uh, let it sit for uh, usually a week or two before I even come back to thinking about it. And then I'll come back in and I'll do another read through pass. And then after the read through pass, uh, at that point, I will most likely send it on to Maya for the first read and the first editorial piece. And then we'll hash that out, uh, typically one draft there. And then it's pretty much ready to go to the publisher at that point. 
That's awesome. You've got it honed. You know, I always say I'm an outliner myself, and I always say that the outline never survives first contact with the characters. It just no, it never make does. It. It never does. And, but the idea is that, you know, and, and outline's kind of like a road atlas, right? You know, back in the days when we carried road atlases in our car and you mm-hmm. could say, yeah, I wanted to go for, I want to go from Houston, Texas to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you can travel the direct route or you can travel the scenic routes. And mm-hmm. the idea is you, your outline is written on that, that fast route, but your characters are going to want to stray off and see the scenic parts at some point in time. And so you, you kind of let, you kind of let them get to let them have the gas mileage to do that. Mm-hmm. And, if it's a wrong turn, you can easily bring them back to, to the, the outline or you can strike what you had in mind there and bring them back to where they needed to be. They might change their mind when I go to Disney World. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> That's right. Let's see. Jessica wants to know, uh, what was your inspiration behind your character, Jessica? Oh, she talked about that earlier. And is it true that all Jessicas are, are amazing people? So Jessicas are amazing people. Um, <clears throat> She's so our the, guest the, next week. But it, so it's funny that that we're talking about Jessica. Jessica, when she was written in the first short story, was a plot device. I was working with uh, her ex-husband's mercenary company, who was in the process of making a really bad decision, and they find her basically trying to come in and figure out what the, what they're trying to steal. And so she ends up kind of saving the day with them. And I had written her just kind of as a, I didn't think it was going to be uh, anything to go with. It wasn't my idea to, to write a character that was going to become a, a core figure of the Forestman universe. She was a throwaway. And when Chris wrote me that email about, do you want to write a book? We'd really like it to be about Jessica. I had to be like, wow, where am I going to come up with this now? So now I have to come back and I have to build this character who I, I put into this situation and she's just she's really been uh, a joy to, to uh, create and write. It's so much fun. That's awesome. Uh, for the record, Jessica says that her husband also thinks that she is a plot device. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's a Jessica thing. I was the only guy in the theater with the the, the second Lego movie with my kids. Laughed out loud when the, the the main character turns to a friend and goes, "It's a CPD. It's a convenient plot device." <laughs> It's nice when they put those little jokes in just for us. They're just for you know, us. You know, the writers had a lot of fun writing that one in there. No doubt. No doubt. Um, I was rewatching the Muppet thing and they were doing a running gag. Right. So they were, you know, they talked about the running gag and I was like, that's oh, yeah. so funny. So and I had to explain to my daughter what that meant. So covers, your covers are gorgeous and they kind of they all blend together. And I like that the covers actually have like characters on them and like there's a bit of the story on there mm-hmm. so why why has like the four horsemen why have they decided to go that route um it, it's really been a, a lot of fun with the four horsemen universe to, to kind of see how the covers have continued to, to to develop because the the big mechanical suits of armor that you see uh don't necessarily fit with the description of how they would actually look in the book but because the the artist that we have has done such a good job with the, the characterization and the, the building of the different models of the what we call Caspers, the combat assault suit personal. Um, it's it, He's really done such a good job. It's been fun to, to take that and, and be able to kind of run with it. In my case, with the car- with the, the, the covers for all the, the books that I've been a part of, I've actually sketched all of those. And so oh, nice. having the idea of to figure out what the, the cover would look like if, if I'm writing with a co-author, we kind of put it together and then we'll send that information forward to Chris Kennedy and he sends that to the artist and the artist has yet to disappoint us on a cover. It's just really fantastic work. Very but, nice. You know, you know, you never, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to, to always work with a publisher that will let you explore what you want on a cover mm-hmm. and to, to have the opportunity to 
do this and to create some of the covers that I've created is just is really cool. Nice. Well, I'll tell you, I've been dying to ask, and and Vicky asked earlier too, um, about this, uh, you know, space camp thing you used to manage. Do you have any like fun stories from there? And can adults come? So adults can adults can still go to space camp. Yes, they they still do adult weekends. Um, so. I was in, I went to graduate school at Mississippi State, and when I graduated from from there, I was looking for a job, and I found myself in the, the Huntsville, Alabama area. And I decided while I was looking for work, I would go to the Space and Rocket Center and just get a job as a tour guide because I'd always been a space geek. Uh, since the, the my first real memory of television, 1975, the Apollo Soyuz test project, I remember watching that as a as a kid. And then when I was 11 years old, I wrote my congressman in Tennessee and told him I wanted to be an astronaut. And I went to see the third launch of the space shuttle with a VIP pass, which was pretty cool. And so I just I've always been involved and wanted to do the, the space thing. And so I went for uh, the, the job and they looked at my job application and like, we'll be right back. And so I ended up I went up and met with the, the vice president for the aerospace programs, Space Camp and Aviation Challenge which is the part of space camp that works with kids teaching uh, high performance jet fighter pilot life. So cool. And I, I was hired on the spot and I went down to the aviation challenge program because they had a focus there with not only with the piloting aspect, with, but with uh, extensive land and water survival and <clears throat> working with parachutes and that sort of stuff. And I'd gone to parachute school in the army. And so I went down there to work and uh, it just, it kind of, took off. I, I was there about seven weeks and was made a, a lead counselor over the part of the, the land survival area. And then by the end of that summer, I was running the high school age program. So what we called the Mach 3 program. And then I became the assistant manager. And then I did that for <clears throat> probably about three years. And then I got a call to, uh, from the, the same man who hired me. It was, I need you to run space camp. And uh, I said, yes. And so I ran space camp for about about let's see close to two years before i was recruited away to work with challenger learning centers which is the centers that were started by the astronauts families from the challenger accident so i worked with them for a couple of years and then the army caught notice of me doing stuff in the space world and said hey you want to come back and be a space guy full-time yeah i'll do that too so that's how i ended up back on active duty doing space stuff so that's so cool. And yeah, there's a, there's a million stories from Space Camp. Uh, you know, it was it it's honestly the, the probably the best five years of, of my professional life outside of when I taught ROTC because there were there was so much to it. I made lifelong friends from Space Camp. Uh, you know, I have three guys that are, are like my brothers, and we're, we're still trading text messages every day. We probably had this text stream going for, you know, since text messages became a thing. <laughs> so um, it's it really was a fantastic place and it taught me a lot about not only myself and how to, to teach and deal with, with others, but really how to, it sounds corny, but how to understand what people's dreams are and do your best to, to help them reach them if you can. That's fantastic. Do your girls have any interest in the space program? Uh, both of them are interested in space, but not, not to the point that I was, there's, you know, a lot of other things can be competing factors these days. Yeah. Uh, but the other day with the, the, the perseverance landing that both of them thought that was pretty cool. So we'll see what happens. It was exciting. We were all cheering on the ground. Like we had anything to do with it, but gosh, doggone it. We were just as happy. <laughs> hey, space flight's not easy. So and when mm -hmm. you see something like that succeed, it's, it's a pretty monumental achievement. It really is. Yeah. It's pretty impressive.
We were let's we're watching the 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 right stuff redo the remake one on Disney. That's the, actually a TV show, and it's just it's like we've seen it. We live in Houston. We've been to Johnson Space Center a bazillion times. Yeah. So we we've seen the actual capsule they were in, but to actually watch it on the screen, how when they're they first see it and they these huge guys. I mean, these are pilots. They're not like five one like I am, right? So trying to yeah. get into the, it's. It's incredible that we went to space in a freaking tin can that was just screwed together. It's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And now we send tin cans to Mars that are very fancy tin cans. Yeah, Mini Coopers, basically. That's right. It's impressive. It really is. It's incredible. Um, let's see. Well, what, so speaking of your work career, how about your vacation life? What is your idea of a vacation? <clears throat> vacations are, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's been interesting over the last couple of years, of course, with COVID and everything else, we've, we've looked at vacations very differently. We tend to do a lot of mini vacations, uh, weekend getaways, going up to the mountains or, or going down to Arizona to visit my dad or Kansas to visit family or Texas to visit friends. Uh, so we, we tend to look at it a little bit differently, but at the same time, you know, we, we've done the, the recent Disney trip, come well, up three years ago now, four years ago. So you know, doing the the big vacation, sure, you can absolutely, you know, go for it as much as you can. But the idea is you're not always going to get the chance to take the the big vacations. So take the little ones, you know, and living in Colorado, there's so many things in the, the state that we haven't seen that it's been fun to be able to, to do little weekend trips. You know, hey, let's go to Mount Princeton or let's go up to Breckenridge. You know, let's let's spend time in the state versus well, let's think about, you know, let's go to Hawaii. Well, you know, that's really not all that cost effective or <laughs> anything else. So, you know, you know, I did two kids on an air, on an airplane for six to eight hours. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to do the, the smaller ones and to be able to, to really appreciate what's around you. Yes, I can totally agree with that. I wonder, cause I always notice, you notice how a lot of people, they live in a state and they never see the things in that state they're in. So that's kind of cool. You're bringing the girls around, but I'm wondering because I always like to go see everything. Oh yeah. And I wonder if that's the military thing because I was a military brat too. I was a brat, and then I was in the military. So I don't know. It's like when you're at a place now, you want to go see those things. So I wonder how much of the military influenced that kind of thing. My husband, he's born and bred in Texas. He had never seen the Alamo. I'm like, what do you mean? We're going to see the Alamo now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that because you 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 want to be. A- immersed in the area that you're in. You want to be able to see things and, and be familiar with it because that familiarity makes it feel more like home, even if you're there for a short period of time. You, know, we've you don't been know here. when you're leaving. So it's not like, oh, I'll do that later. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Yep. Yep. I wonder. So we can learn something from military people. <laughs> let's see. Did I miss a question? Safe, you got to let me know if I missed a question. I was like having fun at the interview. I don't know what I was thinking. Let's see. It says if Percy runs into a Casper, he will be crushed. He will be a crushed tin can. Who's Percy? Percy Perseverance. That's what they're calling the, the rover. They gave they give him the nickname. Oh, I missed the nickname. How funny is that? Yes, I guess he would be crushed, poor little guy. But he's so cute. They wouldn't want to hurt him. Let's see. Disney stomps on Universal sandwiches. I don't know there, what that Sorry, means. there was a Kevin discussion Bentley, of Florida. Yeah, there was a discussion of Universal versus Disney and the merits of the two and Yeah, but I think we're good on questions except uh oh, yeah. Uh Matt Novotny had one that uh old Jester helpfully dropped back yes, in the chat I for see us. Yeah, so 
he wants to know, Matt wanted to know, what are your plans for teaching in the future? And how do you see that working with your writing and appearance commitments? Uh, so I, I do still like to teach courses for writers. I found that during the, the, the COVID times, it's been hit or miss with uh, the audience as far as just working through their own burnouts and uh, where you're going to spend your money, <laughs> sort of a thing. <laughs> um, I, I had planned to try to do a master class in story structure uh, sometime uh, in February, but that's not going to happen with only five days left in the month and with my commitments and everything now. Uh, so I'm looking at the the rest of the year. I think as things slowly return to normal, there'll there'll be some opportunities to to do some story structure classes, and and uh, that information will be on my website when uh, you know the time comes. I've got a, a page for courses on how you can get the information and sign up, and then what the course would actually be like. <clears throat> I will be. Provided it goes, I will be the guest writing workshop instructor at FinCon in Dallas in September. Nice. So I will be there as the as the writing workshop instructor, which is really amazing for me, considering some of the folks who have been at the the writing workshop as the the instructor the last five six years. So it's pretty cool. That is cool. Maybe I'll have to drive up and see you. Uh, that's not during DragonCon though, right? Because we have priorities. It's two weeks after DragonCon. Okay. All right. We'll I have to look at that one. Because everything's going to happen this year. I just put the positive vibes out there. <laughs> so awesome. So question, where can find where can fans find you and your work? So I'm obviously all over social media, though I don't do too much with it. Uh, so I'm at Facebook. So facebook.com slash author Kevin Eikenberry is my author page. Um, I'm on Twitter. I don't do a whole lot with Twitter, but my, my handle there is at the writer Ike. Um, that's pretty much it for main social media. Um, uh, my website is kevineikenberry.com. Uh, that has pretty much everything you could ever do, ever want there, along with my mailing list that uh, you can sign up for and get the information not only about books, but about future course commitments and that sort of thing too. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Excellent. And what are you promoting right now? Uh, so I have Redacted Vice with Kevin Steverson that comes out on the 5th of March. So just about two weeks away. Uh, very, very excited about that. Kevin and I have had uh, just a tremendous amount of fun writing together. Um, when, especially when people meet us and you know, we have very, very much two different styles. Kevin was a career, uh, Sergeant, he was a Sergeant first class when he, uh, retired. So he was a career non-commissioned officer. And then me as a commissioned officer, people would look at us and go, you guys can't write together. And we have such a fun time with it. You know, it's, and it's been fun because people will, will read something and they'll, they'll comment to one of us. It was like, I could totally tell you wrote that joke. And we were like, nope. Other guy wrote that joke because <laughs> we really did. It was a lot of fun to kind of cut loose. Yes, uh, but do so, you make him call you sir? Just wondering. No, no. <laughs> those, those days are, are long gone. I mean, I've, I've been retired five years. So, you know, you know I, I didn't I didn't want my career to end when it did because of, of my illness and whatever else. But I'm, I'm very happy with where things ended up. So that's awesome. Well, we're glad you're here. We're glad you came with us. And please, everyone, make sure when you read Kevin's books, leave reviews. It's the best present you can give your author um, and leave them wherever you get your books. So don't think you have to. It has to be on Amazon or it has to be on Barnes Noble. Wherever you get them, please leave your reviews and um, please review this podcast. So wherever, again, you get your podcast, we would greatly appreciate a review. And if you have any questions, um, please send them to uh, Captain Wyvern, C-A-P-T. W-Y-V-E-R-N at CursedDragonship.com. So if you have any questions or any guests you'd like to see, let us know and we will call them and get them booked. 
And I think that's it. Oh, no, I have to thank our wonderful subscribers, Dave and Helen. Thank you. Thank you so much for subscribing and help making this possible so we can get an awesome video card and make this look even better. And I think that's all. We'll see you all next week where we have a slush pile reader on. So we'll get some insight on how that works with Miss Jessica. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.